HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and you are listening to the Heritage Radio Network. So I'm going to start off tonight with a, a little pop quiz for you, you know, a little, a little mid-semester quiz. I'm going to say a couple things, and you tell me which one doesn't belong. Question number one. Allen Ginsberg, Patti Smith, the capital of counterculture, Iggy Pop, Beatniks, Veselka, CBGB, Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, The East Village, 7-Eleven. Did you answer correctly? Just in case that one wasn't clear enough, let's try another. Starbucks, Subway, Dunkin' Donuts, KFC, Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, 7-Eleven, The East Village. Well, since you're a Let's Get Real listener, and you're probably very bright and not an idiot and somewhat clued in, or because you listen to me, very clued in, and generally speaking, the right kind of people. I'm going to venture a guess that you answered both pop quizzes correctly. But you may not be as right as you think. If you said that 7-Eleven doesn't belong in the East Village, then you're correct. Good job. As a reward for that, I'll like your Facebook post about the cake that you baked for your two-year-old adopted African nephew's birthday. And I'll pretend that I looked at your Instagram update on the $300 all-organ meat tasting menu that you ate at the latest David Chang outpost. But here's where it gets complicated. It doesn't matter whether 7-Elevens belong in the East Village or not, because they're already there. There are, at present, four 7-Elevens in the East Village of Manhattan. And you can now get a Slurpee on St. Mark's Place as easily as you could score a dime bag in the 80s. Giuliani and Bloomberg cleaned up New York and made us all safe for diabetes. As we speak, 7-Eleven is planning its incursion even deeper into the heart of the East Village, into Alphabet City, specifically planning to open one on the iconic corner of 11th Street and Avenue A, right near where Kerouac and Ginsburg lived and worked. The point is that once 7-Eleven has succeeded in invading the East Village, they will belong because it won't be the East Village anymore. They'll turn the East Village into a version of itself. Like Agent Smith in the Matrix sequels, sticking his hand into people and turning them into copies of himself. If 7-Eleven succeeds, 11th Street and Avenue A will be just one more corner for tourists, bros, and NYU students to buy blue-flavored energy drinks and marshmallow-flavored power bars. That is what we're talking about tonight on Let's Get Real. But why are we going to talk about 7-Elevens in the East Village? What does that have to do with Let's Get Real? Well, Let's Get Real is a show about 
food, specifically the difference between food and foodiness. What I've said before is that foodiness is truthiness ingested. When you look at it that way, food and foodiness are a nexus point for all of the real and the fake in our lives, between a vegetable and a veggie puff, fruit and a fruit bar, protein and protein powder, water and cherry-flavored sports water without electrolytes, fiber and fat-free, low-calorie red berry cereal enhanced with fiber, socializing with people and socializing alone in your bedroom on Facebook, singing and lip-syncing, sex and sexting, reality and reality shows. We cover it all in LGR because it's all connected. And I don't mean connected like social media. I mean actually connected. No likes required. For my under 30 listeners, because I care about you too, if you don't know what a connection was before social media, just Google it. The point is that if there is an ultimate nexus point between foodiness and truthiness, and thus between the real and the fake in all of our lives, it's 7-Eleven. If there's an icon of a real urban neighborhood left in the country, it would be the East Village. And if there's an icon of everything that is synthetic and manufactured in society today, it's 7-Eleven. If you've been listening to Let's Get Real long enough, you know I blame everything on foodiness. From Sarah Palin and the Tea Party to Kim Kardashian and Real Housewives, that's because foodiness infantilizes us and makes us stupid, disconnects us from reality, and just makes the whole matrix possible. As I've been saying all along, while eating foodiness puts us into the realm of the fake, or as I like to say, down the foodiness rabbit hole, these days eating food is a revolutionary act that brings us back into the realm of the real. Of course, in an era where walking into Taco Bell using your legs instead of driving your mobility scooter through the drive-thru is a revolutionary act, the threshold is kind of low. But you get the point. If 7-Eleven succeeds in turning the East Village from the capital of counterculture to the self-serve counter where you fill your big gulp, then we're all fucked. Here to get real with us tonight about the candification, infantilization, gentrification, corporatization, tachification, suburbanization, middle Americanization, and now pringleization of the East Village are the two leaders of the No 7-Eleven NYC movement, Dr. Rob Hollander and Bob Holman. Now, Dr. Rob Hollander heads up the 11th Street ABC Block Association. He's a native Eastside New Yorker, author, researcher, and licensed tour guide. Dr. Hollander has lived in Alphabet City since the fabulously neo-apocalyptic 1970s. He's an educator at the Lower East Side History Project, and he organized the recent Block Association meeting to kick off the opposition to the 7-Eleven opening on East 11th Street and Avenue A. Bob Holman is an internationally renowned poet and the owner of the Bowery Poetry Cafe, which is home for poetry on the Lower East Side, and a last remaining pillar of everything left that is not corporate in the neighborhood. He is the co-director of New York and Poets Cafe, where he introduced slam poetry in 1988. He's been called ringmaster of the spoken word and the poetry czar. It turns out that Bob also raises bees and likes rabbit holes, too, like me, which we'll get to. But more cogent right now is that Bob coined the term Pringleize, making the claim at the protest meeting and in the media that 7-Eleven is Pringleizing the East Village. So welcome to Bob and Rob. Thanks for joining us here on wow. Let's Get Real. <laughs> wow. You like that intro? I loved it. I love Dr. Rob, too. Dr. Rob, I'm, huh? I'm well, PhD, right? Yep, Dr. Rob. Right. That's okay. what the friends call me. Well, then that's what we're going to call you here. We're all amongst friends. Okay, so let's start there. When I first heard this term, Pringle Eyes, I thought maybe it was Pringle's new ad campaign to teach us how to add Pringles to any meal. Are you suggesting that it might connote something else? I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's the fact that I like my potato chips to come in different shapes, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and the more you think about it, which isn't really a whole lot you have to, to acknowledge that to take a potato, and this is very appropriate for 7-Eleven because, you know, they have mashed potato machines in there now. Do they really? And I, I thought, wow, that. that must be pretty yucky because you get the potatoes, you got to peel them and put this. Don't, But I shouldn't have worried because all they do is they have little packages of potato flakes that they mix with the boiling water. Oh. And then you press the button for the kind of gravy you want. Ew. I'm not kidding you. Really? This is, uh, you know... This is how they're going That's to take foodiness. over. That is seriously foodiness. That, 
to pringleize is to uh, to to to, uh, to conform to force conformity and stick humans in a tube for mm-hmm. easier shipping. Yeah, that's exactly. what it boiled down <laughs> right. to for me. Or when I actually first saw the the press about about you guys and I saw that term, my first thought actually was um, all those brand new high rises along Sixth Avenue in the twenties, where it used to be the Flower District, mm-hmm. and how those buildings to me are like giant cans stacked full of identical apartments, and then stacked full of identical people like to me that's pringleizing you know you, you could look at the um at the avalon buildings on uh, bowery and houston oh, yeah. which i do right. since i live across the street from them and it's 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 not that they're they're ugly so much as they are just bland and boring and anti-bowery yeah. and all of those buildings that are pringleized as you say whether they look like the actual tubes or whether they're just stamped out of some kind of uh, um, postmodern soviet uh, realism <laughs> you know it's yeah. uh, it is uh, th- they don't belong you no. know, and, that, and that's what you were saying. I love that right. intro oh, about Seven Eleven and in in is is an anathema. It's it, it's it's a unification of appetites in a place that's a total the, the paradise for for hedonism. Sure, and for the full spectrum of appetites, sort of no matter what you wanted, that was where you could find it in that neighborhood. Yeah. So, not for long. Not for long. No, I know. I mean, I lived in East Village in the early mid-80s and left, and I rarely get back over there. And when I do, I don't recognize the blocks anymore. The landmarks are gone. I, I don't know where I am. I have no sort of connection to the place, no sense of place anymore. So why target Pringles? Why not Cheetos or Doritos or, or Funyuns, for well, that matter? It was simply that, it was simply that Alex, that... Uh, you know, to take uh, potato paste and push it into a mold so that they can all uh, fit conveniently into the mm-hmm. container. Cheetos, you know, right. w- regardless <laughs> of what you think and how your fingers look after you've been eating them, they uh, do at, come at out they of individual come in a tube, taste. You know, they, yeah, they right. don't they come have in a tube. Personality. It Cheetos. was. It's the yeah. same. It, you could say the same. Why Seven Eleven and why not McDonald's or Subways or, or Starbucks? You know, which right. managed to sneak in under our radar. There was just some. Something about the the genericism mm-hmm. of the of their genre right. that uh, that just totally rankled was wrong and made the whole thing. And I th- it's going to tip the apple cart back on top of those other chains also because that's what we're really looking for, ain't it, Doctor Rob? Oh, we're going all the way with this. <laughs> You're taking it all the way yeah. to the top. Yeah, to go all, all the way. way. Yeah, you know, if you're a chain, we're going to uh, get unshackled. Mm. You know, what I think is interesting is, you know, living in that neighborhood and in New York in general, you know, since the early 80s, I sort of saw that the first wave of the Korean delis coming in. I remember how everything was turning into like the Korean produce and delis and, you know, that sort of became like the generic, the standard. Now the Korean delis are being pushed out. There's one in Chelsea where I work where I used to go to get lunch because they actually had this great salad bar that I loved and that shut down and now that's a 7-Eleven. And when I thought if a Korean green grocer deli can't afford the rent in new york anymore then that's it i mean that's seriously the end well that's why you have four uh 7-elevens in one neighborhood mm-hmm. and another hundred planned for manhattan way. yeah yeah uh, th- it's it's not to serve anyone in any community it's to drive out the competition it's actually a, 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 a it's a corporate strategy mm-hmm. to take over the streets sure, sure. and it's uh, we see this on uh uh, 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 Dwayne Reed that opened right next to a CVS mm-hmm. on First Avenue between 14th Street and 15th Street. Now, the entire street there is just storefront. There's a CVS, there's a Dwayne Reed, and there's a, what is it, a Chase Bank? Chase. I was going to say Bank? probably it's a Chase one Bank. One or the yeah. other, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, Dwayne Reed just opened right next to CVS. Mm-hmm. They offer the same sorts same. of things. Right. So, so this is not about offering anything to a community, offering anything to any consumer. Right. It's just a corporate warfare, right. and we are the spectators. It's happening in our streets. 
streets. Right. It's like a corporate bulldozing of each other, and whoever has the biggest bulldozer just gets to clear the space and that, take that's over. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the strategies of capitalism. Like right. when you say that the, uh, that the Koreans uh, moved in, yeah, that's the waves of immigration mm-hmm. uh, is what has created uh, the Lower East Side. Sure. And the Koreans were, you know, the Koreans took over from the Italians, right. you the know, Italian and, the Ita- and then in the other Jews. neighborhoods, it was, it was the Puerto Rican, New Yorkers who came in right. and took over, you know. Right. But the reason why they came in was because they had families together. Mm-hmm. They raised money together. They came in. They reshaped the neighborhood. They right. added to it. They built onto a culture. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't something that came down as as a uh, as a corporate dictum on how to make how, right. how to to make the most buccaroonies. Right. Corporate management from afar. Because Seven right. Eleven is not a local corporation. No, of not. They're and out using, in Texas, right? Some kind of algorithm <clears throat> where they sort of put in population and income stats and say, "Okay, where can we, where can we target next? Where can we target?" Aim? Is oh, a good word. <laughs> yeah, we're the target. Well, be know? careful because you'll get a target opening down there soon enough, like oh. you got up in uh, East Harlem. So, so this all sounds to me like you think maybe these villages too good for Seven Eleven. This sounds like what <laughs> what a lot of Middle Americans. And people new to New York today and the Tea Party set would call elitism. So by rejecting this corporate culture, are you being elitist? Now, longtime New Yorker Fran Lebowitz said that elite is just the rights code word for smart or intelligent. <laughs> but today it's also conflated with being wealthy. So are, are we just being elitist? Are we just being snooty New Yorkers trying to still play Bohemia, still trying to hold on to the dream of... Of the seventies, you know, I don't see that at all. What what I see is uh, 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 a destruction of our free market. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really not about elitism of any kind, um, even if it's reverse elitism. Uh, we we had a free market in Manhattan, and now we have these corporations mm-hmm. that are much too big for anyone to withstand. Right, they're like category killers. Uh, it's something that they um, just wipe everyone out. Yeah, I was at a, uh, an Occupy meeting with the Alt Bank Occupy meeting, and Kathy O'Neill described the the illusion of choice. <laughs> you see all these stores, but they're actually the same store. Right. Seven Eleven offers only corporate uh, foods. Right. You get sixty flavors of Pringles offered to you. That's but right. they're all you've still got Pringles. Your mashed potatoes. <laughs> you've got, <laughs> you've got your potatoes. Uh, your potatoes. Your hot dogs that are you know made out of wood that your are microwave up burritos. there going around. Your right. microwave burritos. And it's also about the quality of that food. It's how it's again. It's it's coming to you as being you know def- price point defined from on high. What is going to sell mm-hmm. and and what we can make the most money off of. Not at all concerned with what the neighborhood is is right. The uh, target. The target is not people. It's statistics. You don't exist as a person for Mm -hmm. 7-Eleven. You exist very much as a number. Yeah, well, the food, I mean, even saying that that they sell food, they don't sell food. The products that they sell are not food. They're, in my, I mean, they're beyond foodiness in a way, some of them. They're just sort of, you know, little corporate machine-produced, you know, turds being Popped out of a machine and then being fed back to people. You know, somebody once said that advertising is just feeding people back their own shit. And that's sort of, you know, to me with 7-Eleven is like, how can we sort of process and package this shit to appeal to this demographic in this market? What's interesting is I spent a lot of time traveling in Asia and Thailand and Japan in particular are filled with 7-Elevens. But the 7-Elevens there sell, they sell a lot of package and a lot of processed stuff, but they actually do sell food. Because the people there aren't quite so far down the foodiness rabbit hole as we are. And so they still want their food to look recognizable and look like real food. So you can go to into a 7-Eleven in Tokyo and get onigiri, which are like rice balls wrapped in seaweed with like cod roe inside of them. You know, something you wouldn't even find here in a, you know, in a more high-end deli. So it's interesting how, how it's, it's so conceptualized and sort of micro marketed to that place except that here in america that place is just here in america it doesn't matter the where target, we are the target here is a youth market yeah it's uh, nyu students <laughs> nyu students yeah. and, and uh, uh young singles right um people but, who who have a dorm room they want to run out get something quick and bring it home yeah um the the, the problem is that 
if if they're going to have this bulldozing effect of choking out uh, their competition, what they're going to end up providing to the the entire neighborhood is this youth market of you know Pringles and yeah, just processed sugar, shit, right? Yeah, Slurpees and sodas and Pringles and. Frozen burritos and I mean, yeah. if you took a take a look at um, uh, Banks's, this came out in a recent article that uh, uh, was studied. They interviewed a whole bunch of people and found that um, people most like the banking experience with a small bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, they most like a credit union, mm. and they least like Citibank, Chase Bank, mm-hmm. the big corporations. It's too cold. It's too impersonal. They don't get enough attention. Well, if you look in our neighborhood, we see uh, Chase Bank and mm-hmm. what, every other block, I think. Um, we have a credit union, but mm-hmm. you have to go all the way to Avenue B and 3rd Street to mm-hmm. find the credit union. Mm-hmm. Now, people want to go to the credit union. Yeah. I mean, they want to bank with the credit union. But Chase is everywhere. Yeah, it's I mean, so Chase, convenient. Chase is them out. That's, and that's their name, Chase. What we're seeing with the Seven Eleven is is not the final stage. Mm-hmm. It's the process. Mm-hmm. Take a look at the trajectory. What is the future going to be if we've already got these Starbucks? We've already got the Dunkin' Donuts. Now we're going to have the Seven Eleven. Well, what is the next stage? Mm-hmm. What, what what is going to happen to Manhattan when Seven Elevens have spread? A hundred, I think it's 147 in the whole of the city that they're planning. They want to have like um, the statistics we got from the original Times article was to have 100 stores in Manhattan by 2015, which is only this less like than tomorrow. two years away. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you say 2015, it sounds really far it's in the future aggressive. because I still think it's like 1997. <laughs> I haven't caught up, but that's a less than two years away. A hundred stores in Manhattan alone. That's pretty That's scary and i can't i mean 50 it's a year it's the tipping point of but i can't even imagine what's worse like what what happens next you know after that well, that's why you want to stop it now. You know, in, in, in San Francisco, there are already laws to keep chains out. You know, why is it that our community boards um, vote on whether or not a bar should move in, but not whether yeah. or not there should right. be a chain store that moves in that takes over the, uh, the business from the that's bodegas? True. You know, so that's we want to institute some way that there can be local control, mm-hmm. uh, a voice of the neighborhood on what kind of stores are going to be there that we are not dictated to from above, which is the law of capitalism. Sure. But somebody up there yeah. is going to make the decision for you. Somebody's lobbying in Washington and saying screw all the people. <laughs> to go who- as far as that, we have a, a city administration that is uh, uh, giving the advantage mm-hmm. to corporate stores. Why like Slurpees can be any size, I understand, yeah, Dr. Slurpees Rob. Yes, Slurpees are exempt. Why is, but why I, thought there was exempt? A, I thought there was a ban on, on, on super size. But not on Slurpees for oh, some but, reason. But I'm not sure why, no, but it doesn't, it, it, why they're exempt. Nobody can count figure for that 7-Eleven. out. 7-Eleven is exempt? Well, yeah. Don't tell me that. Bob. So, <laughs> Slurpee, Burpee, 7-Eleven is jerky. And I'm not talking <laughs> beef jerky or no. turkey jerky. Beef jerky is Talking jerky. No, we don't. Know? We don't need turkey jerky. That's food. Seven Eleven don't add up. I want local in my cup. Well, but we've <laughs> we've managed to keep Walmart out. I mean, Walmart's been trying for years to get into New York, and that's been fought successfully. So the same kind we... of labor problems that Walmart has, Seven mm-hmm. Eleven is renowned for having too. Although Seven Elevens are franchises, and Walmart isn't, so it's a whole different set. Yeah, but if you look at uh, at your Seven Eleven. It's mostly it's all self service. Uh, yeah, that's that's the whole model is that you don't have to interact with a human being at all. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> the guy behind the counter. Who's there's a guy uh, behind the counter, right. and there's a it's a large store. So it's uh, it's the opposite of labor intensive. Yeah, right? it's minimal labor. Right. Uh, per square foot, if you want to Basically think of it that way. Itself. So it's taking away labor, taking away jobs a lot of from jobs. our neighbor, yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, more with Rob and Bob and talking about the 7-Eleven invasion of Manhattan. We'll be back in just a minute. I really need. Yeah. And if you leave me, ooh, baby, if you leave me this way, girl, I may not this one's called Don't Let the Green Grass Fool You by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network. O R G. 
This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. And um, remember that if you're a fan of Let's Get Real, you can follow us on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. You can also always listen to any Heritage Radio Network show ever produced on iTunes or on heritageradionetwork.org. And you should check out my website, letsgetrealshow.com where you can also watch my recent appearance on the Dr. Oz show, where I tried to get Dr. Oz to say foodiness, and he did say it, but it was edited out. But I had my moment of, of, of success there. So we are talking tonight um, with uh, Rob and Bob about the influx of 7-Elevens into New York, particularly in the East Village. So um, we, uh, we've been talking about how 7-Eleven wants to open 100 stores in Manhattan in the next two years. And um, when 7-Eleven was asked about, you know, why they want to do this, the statement that they made, particularly about the store in the East Village that we're focusing on, was this. 7-Eleven said, there is a high concentration of young adults and young families on a budget. They all have a harried, on-the-go lifestyle, and we can help make their lives a bit easier and more convenient. Now, if I were a young family, which I am not, I don't have children, I would not do my grocery shopping at 7-Eleven. I wouldn't find 7-Eleven to make my life more convenient or easier. And anytime someone evokes the word families, you know you're in trouble because you're not allowed to come out against families. And so if you say, oh, well, that's bad that it makes families' lives easier, then, of course, you're anti-family and then you're anti-American. So... um do you guys want to speak a little bit? I mean, you've lived in the East Village a very long time, and, uh, you know, about the, the demographic. There have always been families in the East Village. My great-grandparents lived on the Lower East Side. It's been a family neighborhood forever. What did they have for dinner? What's that? What did your great-grandparents <laughs> have for dinner? Probably herring. <laughs> a lot of herring. You know, they were Jews right out of Russia. Herring, potatoes, a little chicken fat when they could get it. Yeah. They actually, I don't know if they lived... I know they lived on the Lower East Side briefly, and then they all moved out to East New York, mm. Brooklyn, like you know, deepest, darkest Brooklyn. Yeah, just just remember that uh, talk about families. Families own bodegas. Yeah, families exactly. Own delis. Right, and it's been a family neighborhood for a lot longer than it was ever like a young hipster student neighborhood too. And I, th- so far as I know, last I checked, families are allowed to shop at bodegas <laughs> and delis. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And can actually buy some food there, as uh, opposed to the green grocer too. Yeah, green grocer, right? R- real farmers food. market, and real yeah. food. The you know it's it's all there. The, the the schools on the on the Lower East Side are all full and brimming and opening new schools all the time. But yeah, there's it's a, it's it is in many ways a family neighborhood. Of course, on the other hand, the gentrification down there is pricing in mm-hmm. some in some areas again, like the Avalon buildings across. On the Bowery, there are uh, you know that's where you have three thousand new um, singles, you know, up, you know, strivers who want to uh, mm-hmm. the yuppification syndrome. <laughs> I haven't heard that word in a long there. time. You know, they're yeah. opening they're opening up on Eleventh Street and Avenue A, not be not to serve the local community. No, they're actually opening there because there are a lot of bars uh, right. right around there. Yeah, it's so always been. Yeah, they're looking for yeah. for uh, people coming out at four o'clock in the right. morning for a place that's uh, open at that that they are familiar with because right. these are people who are not local. Yeah, it's a bar scene, right? Yeah, here. it's for people who are new to New York or who are <laughs> students coming from out of town or just in town to party. And also, of course, Seven Eleven sells cigarettes, 
And people who are out late at night going to bars generally want to smoke, and that's a good place to buy cigarettes. I think it's getting harder to find places to buy cigarettes in New York. If you don't have a corner deli or a bodega, you know, that's probably a huge part of uh, of their business. 7-Eleven says that the neighborhood is underserved. There's a bodega, right? I they're, know. Right well, down the block. There and are there actually are th- three bodegas right yeah, now. Yeah, we, we took a, a lovely bodega walk last uh, oh, Saturday. Right. And uh, went to to four bodegas and the you know within the two block radius of of the Eleventh uh, Street Seven uh, Eleven to be, and there were s- several more that we didn't get to. Mm-hmm. And then we concluded by a great uh, stop at the Tompkins Square Bagelry, mm-hmm. where we all sat around and had bagels. That's not an official bodega; that's a bagel place, but it's a still in competition with what Seven Eleven would be serving. You know? Right. I mean, not to mention there are two farmers markets in the East Village. There's the one at at uh, St. Mark's Church, and there's the one in Tompkins, Tompkins Square, Square right. on two different days. I mean, it's underserved if you feel a severe lack of a place to get a Slurpee or you know mashed potatoes from a machine. Then I suppose it's underserved. But this is a neighborhood that people have been living in for hundreds of years, raising families <laughs> and surviving <laughs> just fine. So let's talk about Bloomberg. <laughs> Oh, let's, great. Yeah. Let's talk about Bloomberg's truthiness, that 7-Elevens are inevitable and they're good for the economy and they're just a natural part of gentrification, which is a word we have been talking about. Now, first of all, this term gentrification in these village has been thrown around for like 30 years now. I mean, it's been a long time coming. It's been happening very steadily. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're sort of hitting a peak of it now. But, you know, we talk about gentrification. I... I don't recall learning about any time period in history when the landed gentry actually drank Slurpees <laughs> or asked their household staff to reheat their microwavable burrito. Oh, uh, the decline of America. Yeah, culture. but you get the point. Um, so a 7-Eleven on 11th Street and Avenue A, I suppose, is inevitable in Bloomberg's New York. Like you said, it's just the next wave. <laughs> now, a lot of commenters, and I say that in quotes in the social media realm have also suggested that 7-Elevens are better than bodegas because they're safer and better lit and cleaner and as one person put it you're not likely you're not as likely to get shot at a 7-Eleven like you are at a bodega because of course we know bodegas are so dangerous if you're living in 1981 so does 7-Eleven make the East Village any safer (laughs) Uh, you know in the I think the Midwest Seven uh, Elevens are known for, for, for being a target of, <laughs> for Robert's of armed robberies. robbery. Armed I know robberies that's what when I saw that that's what I said. Yeah, you hear but, about shootings in you know Des Moines in Seven mm-hmm. Eleven, but you know people. I think uh, I think Seven Eleven actually promotes this this sort of bright lighting and its uh, cleanliness, and people complain that the bodegas are not clean. Right. But you know when when I, if you go look at a bodega. And you look around, you don't see an ambulance stationed right outside the bodega waiting for people to come out and fall over <laughs> and fu- food poisoning. People eat at bodegas every single day. That's yep. what they're there for. Right. Um, th- th- this is not an issue of, of cleanliness. Uh, it's that 7-Eleven has this image of cleanliness. It's yeah. promoting this sort of pristininess this cleanliness. <laughs> well, it's sterility. It's a it's, feeling yeah, of sterility. It. It, it, it's it's like uh, it, it's it's like uh, cleansing. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's of every human touch. Right. Of, right. There, there's, there's there's nothing no alive. As far as that right. good lighting goes, exactly. I'd call it garish, and I've never seen people look quite so ugly and cartoonish <laughs> as they do right. in a 7-Eleven. It's just not four in the sexy. Morning. <laughs> Even you know? the cashier. The cashier has to wear in a uniform. Yeah, hideous You know, the bodega, a, a, a human being is standing in front of And are you, you talking right. about a right. green like and a orange being. uniform <laughs> in the middle of the night under the garish lights? Right. With a, with a mashed potato It's machine. Twilight Zone, and it's not New York. You know, this, it is It is not... Um, what is that it's, word? That it's, like the, it's like the War of the Worlds to me. It's an invasion <laughs> of New York from, from Mars. It is. From, like, the Mars Mall. It is not inevitable. And, in fact, this is the time that we have to start saying that that what, what New York is is its variety and veracity. Mm-hmm. You know what it what it isn't is uh, is is corporate cleansing of the neighborhood, 
You and know? it's not inevitable because this is really planned. Mm -hmm. This is uh, our administration. Yeah. It's really Bloomberg. Selling it out. That's right. Yep. Completely selling it out. Because corporates can can uh, 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 they can pay higher rents, of course, than anything else. Right. This is we're, what we're really talking about is tax revenue, mm -hmm. and the city has done this in in every possible way to raise revenue, to raise real estate values, everywhere in the city. Mm -hmm. There is no planning about uh, communities. There is no consideration of what the communities no. might want. It's all th this mayor has treated New York as if it were a business, mm -hmm. not as if it were a conglomerate of a bunch of communities right. with a lot of people. Tiny, fragile, very complicated, complex neighborhoods. So there is nothing inevitable yeah. in this. This is policy. Yeah. This is plan. intentional. Yeah. Oh, I live two blocks from the Barclays Arena, so I can tell you. What it's like to live in a neighborhood where you're Planet. bulldozed by corporate planning. Yeah, two blocks away. So one of the local franchise owners of two 7-Elevens has offered you both a peace Slurpee, which I guess is olive branch flavored. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know they made that flavor. I'd actually like to try that. Um, the peace Slurpee. In an interview, he said in regards to resistance to 7-Elevens in East Village that Everyone has the right to their own opinion, though I'm not exactly sure what their opinion is. <laughs> Let's talk about somebody who really doesn't get it. Somebody who really doesn't get it, who lives, you know, he, he lives in New Jersey and he owns two 7-Eleven franchises and he doesn't really see any issue with opening up in the neighborhood. And oh, but I thought 7-Eleven uh, was supposed to uh, promote our, our local commerce. Local commerce, right. Supporting local business. You know, when you see those signs um, o o over a storefront, you know it's it's uh, it's a it's a it's a death knell. It's it's an aesthetic of of bland uh, sameness that is not why people come to New York right. to be tourists. It's not why I came to New York to be a citizen. Mm -hmm. You know, you come here because it's got that that spirit. You know, the, the there's a spirit of individualism here yeah. as well as a spirit of community. That's why there's I left Long Island at 17. bunch of anarchists <laughs> over there in that neighborhood <laughs> and they're not going to stand here, here. For, for being dictated to on what their, what their food is going to be. You know, and nor should we. You know, it's not, it is, and, and, and this is where we have to take what is so-called inevitable and let the communities start to take the power of what is their communities are going to look like, mm -hmm. you know. And it's not, it, we're not for sale to the highest bidder. You know, we we need a community that works and uh, and, a, and a variety and feel. We're the people that are, 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 are making the food, are buying it in the, or talk about buy local yeah get vocal yeah you know uh, yeah talk about uh community response um we had a this whole started when uh uh, uh neighbor said to me you know there's a 7-eleven coming on on 11th street and mm -hmm. avenue a it's horrible what can we do what mm -hmm. can our block association do mm -hmm. and i thought well who knows what we can do but we can have a meeting and see what we can do so we set a meeting for um, November 14th, right? This was October. And intervening was Hurricane Sandy. Oh. Right? Yeah. So we still had this, this scheduled meeting two weeks after the hurricane. And uh, uh, we put hurricane relief on our agenda because we didn't want to look like fools. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> we had this big meeting, largest meeting we've ever had for the Block Association. And so I, I went around to, to have everybody introduce themselves and say, what is it you want to talk about today? And n no one wanted to talk about hurricane relief. Everyone wanted to talk about the 7-Eleven. Mm. So the community has really spoken here. They've come out from everywhere. Mm. They respond to this. this. This really means a lot to them. And of, of these people who are at the meeting, something like 80% of them are actively engaged in our, what is it, like uh, uh, eight, ten teams? Yeah. yeah uh, there was yeah, a bodega yeah. walk. There's going to be a, a bodega parade. We have a press team. We have mm. a street team. It's, we, it's, it's really great how the generations are uh, are all represented. So the mothers oh, had, are there talking about going into the school and trying to get the schools to educate the kids wow. on what, what the food is going to be there. Um, it's a it's a it's a remarkable uh, um, 
So it's really galvanizing the neighborhood. It's pulling people together. Sort of like the way um, after the demolition of of Penn Station, people kind of pulled together and said, wait a minute, what's going on in the city? Why are we tearing down our beautiful landmarks that we've had for 100 years? What's, you know, sort of wake up and see, you know, so we don't wind up with another Madison Square Garden. Exactly. Sort of like the second wave of that. And it really did help to form, you know, the Landmarks Commission has really made a difference on keeping you know some of the history that we that you know that we w- want to keep there and this is you know this is what we're working with our with the uh, the community too and why zoning should um, be responsive not just to uh, what alcohol is coming in but the whole nature mm-hmm. of the place mm-hmm. and there's this, i think there's a you know there's a real danger that it's going to the I don't like it that you that you that every place looks alike out there. Sure, you know it's it's okay alone you're on the interstate. That's you know what whatever can work there. But when you go into the towns, you want to feel like you're in in a what place. This, yeah, right, a place where there's a there there. Yeah, you know where you have a sense of connectedness and a sense of people building businesses and becoming part of a community. I mean, if you look at the the chain invasion of Manhattan, which has been going on for a while now, you can see that a lot of it has been foodiness based it's you know a lot of it is about food a lot of it is bringing fast food and chains and all sorts of convenience food into new york subway is everywhere dunkin donuts came in a few years ago people are shopping for their groceries at cvs and rite aid while at the same time we have this like incredible green market system and all these really good food stores and this amazing you know restaurant scene in new york it's like this crazy kind of juxtaposition of like the lowest common denominator chain right up against you know like i said before like the newest david chang restaurant in the east village but so there wants know. to be something in the middle there's something in you know the there wants to be something in the middle and i think yeah. the way that the way you do that is by not allowing the chains, the chains. to to right. to to raise the rent on the places that allow the 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 fundamental um, foundations of, of the, our neighborhoods yeah. to it's like when you grade exams and you throw out you know the bottom the lowest grades like grading on a curve we need to throw out the lowest common denominator on that um, but you know because this is a show about food and we talk about foodiness I talk about this a lot foodiness is is on the front lines of the corporatization and this kind of sterile mass um, uniformity that's happening in Manhattan and my argument is that foodiness is making us dumb. Foodiness is dumbing us down. If pe- the, the presumption that people even say, well, 7-Eleven sells food. It's not food. There's no actual food in there. And so what they're selling is making us stupid. Your brain can't function properly if it's all, all it's being fed is artificial flavors and corn syrup and slushy mix and mashed potatoes from a machine and you know all of that stuff. So on a core level... I think this is all about lobotomizing New York and particularly the East Village, sort of taking away the sharp level of intellect that people have always had here. New Yorkers have always prided themselves on being smarter, better, more creative, (laughs) more elite. And it's like this corporate plan to like lobotomize, particularly the East Village, which has always been this center of dissent and anarchy and troublemakers. Yes, it's not just the food that's being offered. It's the aesthetic that's being offered. Mm-hmm. And it's the variety, the lack of variety the lack that's of, being yeah. offered. Right. So uh, you're being lobotomized if, you're, if you walk down your street and every store you see is identical to some other store someplace else. Right. You, you no longer can look around and, and think, where am I? What is distinctive right. of this place? What kinds of people live here? What kind of special culture is there mm-hmm. here? And that's being wiped out from mm-hmm. M- Manhattan. My friend, you have been pringalized. You've been pringalized, right. So they dumb down the East Village, then they dumb down New York, and then you dumb down the rest of the country because, you know, that's as right. New the York basic, goes... You know, the basic mood of the horrific triumph of capitalism is to take our uh, citizens and look at them as consumers right that we you know that consumer that's it's it's the end product of of capitalism mm-hmm. you know and you the game is the battle is the war is to get you to buy this specific 
well-advertised uh, product. And you do that because of psychological advertising techniques, and it has nothing to do with the true value of that, either as uh, something that is nutritious or as something, and I'm proud of it to talk about aesthetics, you know? I don't think it's elitist to talk about aesthetics. I think it is, it's is—it's dumbing down, as you say, when you say that, uh, that oh, that's of nobody's concern mm-hmm. all we want to do is know that our fried chicken tastes good that's that's not it and that it know? tastes the same in every outlet where we buy it mm-hmm. and it's hot and it's salty and it's exactly the same fried chicken from the same industrially raised factory made chicken plant somewhere out in god knows where yeah but it's also contrary to the whole notion of the free market Mm. Uh, you know, you talk about capitalism. This is not really just capitalism. This is corporate giant capitalism, corporate giant control it, from right. afar. It's corpocracy. If you read, did you read Cloud Atlas? I, 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 I didn't. Now I will. <laughs> yeah. So the term they use is corpocracy. Yeah. Corpocracy. Where they have a there's a, a chapter in the book set in the future in unified Korea. So North and South Korea have become unified and they've taken the uh, sort of dictatorship of the North and the lack of free will and the lack of choice and merged it with the rampant capitalist society of the South and everything is controlled now by these corporations. So instead of like Kim Jong-il telling you exactly what to do and say and think, the corporations are telling you what to do and say, and they it's call it corpocracy. Co- it's yeah. corporate socialism. Yeah, exactly. It's Ganyam style. It's Ganyam style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on a related note, uh, you know, the East Village, of course, has always been famous as a center for arts and ideas and you could walk around for hours and go to bookstores and see art shows and just have all sorts of sort of interesting experiences that changed your life it's why you know when i left home at 17 and never looked back i moved to 11th between first and second that was my first apartment and that's where i lived um and of course ironically or maybe not so ironically the show rent was set on 11th and A. I don't know if you know that. I had to sit through a high school musical production of Rent this weekend in D.C. And, um, you know, we were planning this show. And in the intro to Rent, they say, you know, this takes place on 11th Street and Avenue A in, a, in an abandoned industrial that, building. Alex, that yeah. is genius. I think we're going to now do a version of Rent. Yeah. With, uh, you know, with 7-Eleven. As, right. As Instead the, of Life Cafe. Yeah. Instead of Life Cafe. Yeah. Right. Whoa. Right. The law, dearly departed, recently departed Life Cafe. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's said in there. But anyway, you can't walk around now and have that sort of experience. I mean, I think in these villages you still can find that. But in a lot of New York now, you can't walk around and find have that experience of stumbling upon an interesting bookstore or a gallery or an independent business or just something really interesting and quirky with texture and fabric because it is all the Chase Banks and the 7-Elevens. And do you, it, you know, it's, it's like what we're saying about the dumbing down. It's, also, it's like about killing ideas, killing individual ideas so that we're all programmed to think in the same way and eat the same way and eat the foodiness and to shop in those stores and... And, you know, just sort of taking away the character. Accept and obey, exactly. Become a Pringle. Mm. I mean, that's what it is. It's sort of flattening us all out into these uniform (laughs) potato paste crisps (laughs) stacked in a can. Talk about the carbon footprint, too, of Pringles. I mean, that can, what do you do with that? You can't recycle it. What's it made out of? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah. Huge carbon footprint. I don't think they're made out of potato rinds. But they're sort of meant to appear like if a, if a potato peel were going to be surrounding a Pringle, what would it look like? <laughs> it would look like one of those red <laughs> tubes. Yeah. And they sell them all over the world. I mean, everywhere I've traveled except Cuba. They didn't have them in Cuba, but everywhere else I've been in the world, you can and buy Pringles. They're the same shape they're the same shape but they have different flavors they sell different flavors yeah, depending different on the whole flavors. Where you, you can are disseminate right. them anywhere and right everywhere. and you can customize you know so you have this illusion of choice um, and and they never they never go bad they never go bad it's and pretty amazing in they, some of the but varieties they never go good either <laughs> right and they and and as you know they are really 
perfect for dips. I mean, I got to <laughs> give them. <laughs> they are. You can yeah. stomach them. You know. Right. You know, they're not all potato. They're not they're, all potato. And, they're, and some of the, the varieties. Worst tasting thing I've ever done. Right. Well, no, you like sawdust. <laughs> you like compressed I, it's, sawdust. It's, it's, it gives you that, that bitter nothingness that is really the, you know, what the essence. Was, like Sam Beckett would really understand the taste of a Pringle. <laughs> right. You know? It's like the waiting for a Godot, just waiting yeah. to get the flavor of that Pringle. You'll, just, you'll just, never get you it. You can suck on it and suck on it and <laughs> suck on it. But there's no there there. A, 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 a Pringle... There isn't anywhere there. They're designed the, the to Pringle. be... Like all food it is, it's manufactured and designed to be addictive, but to never be satisfying. Oh. So you're hooked and you keep coming back. You know, so whereas people used to be addicted to other things in the East Village, now they're addicted to Pringles. And some flavors and some varieties sold around the world have so little actual potato in them, they can't even be labeled potato chips. If you look at some of them, they don't say potato chip on the label. They're just Pringles. They've become a category, sort of an entity unto themselves. There's no mention of potato because some of them don't even that, actually have potato in that them. That is fascinating and fantastic. That's I'm telling you, you got the seven really food groups either. just have to take on an eighth now. Yeah, exactly. You know? It is. There's another, it's like it well, should be cardboard. Cardboard <laughs> should be there with Pringles. Cardboard's better for you. <laughs> it has more fiber. You're actually better wow. off eating the cardboard. Well, so. I think we should do a study of that, you know. Well, that's what we talk about on the show all the time is stuff like that, like you know, Pringle. Like, there's a multi-grain Pringle now, hmm. and the mm-hmm. multi-grain Pringle is a perfect example of foodiness because foodiness is where the food manufacturers say, like, "Oh no, this is better. This is real. This is healthier. This is the high quality. This is what you should be eating." But it's still packaged in that same. This is just what Seven Eleven is really all about. Uh, one of the comments on on one of the blogs said, "Well, you know, I want my my Slim Jim, my beef jerky." Yeah. Well. Right in our neighborhood, we have an Italian place on uh, on Eleventh Street, right mm-hmm. on Eleventh Street on First Avenue. Uh, Russo's. Oh they yeah. Offer, they have these right. fantastic Italian sa- dried sauces. Right. Right. It's really beef the original jerky. jerky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you go down to Chinatown, there are these fantastic on Elizabeth Street. Right? Yeah, on yeah, Elizabeth yeah, Street. Yeah. Fantastic beef jerky that you get. They they slice it up right for you, uh-huh. right then and there, in different ways. They can fry it. They can do all kinds of things. For it. That's what New York is yeah. all about. If you come to New York. That's what you're there right. for, right? You can this eat a is, Slim this Jim is like the greatest city in the right. world. Any All of that stuff. stuff is right there for you. Why would you ever go to a Slim Jim mm-hmm. for your beef jerky when you've got everything here? You don't have to tell me. Look, I teach it's in like a culinary school. It's like a complete school. insanity. <laughs> it could be like a, it's an it insult, is what it is. It's, <laughs> it's an, an insult. outrage. <laughs> but look, I mean, other than you know, my very busy job here of doing my once a week show I teach full time in a culinary school in Manhattan and so I have students coming in who are paying a quite a bit of money large amount of money because they think they want to be chefs and they come to learn how to do Slim Jim not quite but what they, they they'll come in with their lunch because class is at one o'clock and their lunch is fast food it's McDonald's it's packaged stuff like that it's um drinks like those like all in one like breakfasty shake kind of drinks it's all processed it's all foodiness it's all packaged it's mind boggling and they're spending $30,000 to go to culinary school and they don't actually eat real food flunk them I'm sorry well, I just wish I could. But, but, but no really that's what that's what's available that's what's being pushed on them you can't blame them it's everywhere it is it's everywhere but it's New York and you can also get the other it's everywhere not also. at Russ and Daughters. It's not at Russ and Daughters, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't at that great Korean deli I used to go to. So, since this is a food show, technically, let's just talk about, for a moment, what potato chips actually are. Which are just potatoes. You slice a potato as thin as humanly possible, or machinely possible, and you fry it in oil. And that's a potato chip. It's got two ingredients. Three if you add salt. Salt. Cool. That's food. Your average Pringle has about 7 <laughs> to 25 ingredients, depending on the flavor. And some of them don't even have potato as their first ingredient. Uh-huh. Dehydrated yep. potato flakes. Some of them are made out of rice flour. Some of them are made oh. out of corn. Yeah. yeah, they're not even. i got to do more research. you got to do some more research on the Pringle. You better know, you what, better know what you're hating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... 
we are running out. I, I happen to be a fan of the potato chip. Of course. I mean, the potato chip is a brilliant invention. I consider There's it nothing... to be a gourmet food. I mean, Absol- nobody makes I'm with them. you. <laughs> it is one of the most pure forms of cooking we have. It's beautiful in its simplicity. You take the potato, the humble, incredibly versatile potato. Mm. You slice it and you fry hungry. it. And the and frying it in fat is better than frying it in oil. You know, fry it in pig fat or duck fat or you know, like in France traditionally French fries are made in horse fat, which gives them really good flavor. Fry them in horse fat. You're not allowed to buy horse fat here. Do you Didn't know that? Know it's that. illegal. You can't buy horse fat in the US because all of it goes to the pet food industry. So the pet food lobby has prevented the USDA from allowing horse and horse fat to be eaten. Because they want all the horse meat and all the horse fat. Alex, Alex, we're, I mean, we, well, we would like to help you on the horse fat <laughs> front, but we just, you know, you can't protest everything. And we're just got to, we're the 7 guys. I know. Guys, okay? You have to choose your but battles. We're with, we're with <laughs> you on horse fat. Thanks. Yeah. You also can't buy certain organs, like you can't buy beef lungs or hearts because those go to pet food also, but it's okay. I know. We all have to choose our battles. Unfortunately, I have too many to, to choose from. Okay, Seven so. Eleven is a good one though, because it's the it's the beginning of being able to have no chains in our city, and that's what it wants to be. It wants to, we want to be unchained. We want to be free. We want the community to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, what San Francisco has is a, a requirement that a chain store has to go to the community first. Mm. And the result is that you, you, you get the chain stores where you want them, like right. major intersections. Where you need them. Uh, because you do need to mm-hmm. have uh, some, you know, all-night uh, full-service drugstore. Sure. That's absolutely essential. Useful but businesses. But not right. in your, your residential neighborhood, not where you live, not where your artists right. are doing crazy right. things. Right, where people are street. trying to live a creative, interesting, and fulfilling those, and, life. And, and we should not have to obey their corporate aesthetic. Their corporate yeah. aesthetic has got to merge with the neighborhood, right. both in what the uh, products are and in the look and feel of the place. But, Bob, they, they can't merge with us because they're corporates, because they're corporates and they're not local. They, they will never see us. They, don't, they, they will, will never obey. care about They us. will obey. They will, conf- <laughs> they will make us We will not conform. conform. We shall not be pringalized. Let my people go. Yes. Okay, so would you say that 7-Eleven is to the East Village what Pringles are to potatoes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, that's what I thought you would be saying. Would Jane Jacobs... (laughs) Oh, you said her name. I was waiting. Jane Jacobs. Uh, Rolling over in her grave. Spinning. Spinning. You see, she would be one of the ones who'd be saying, shame on you for going into that store. She'd be be tearing her hair out and running screaming. She would. They don't exist on her block, let me tell you. Yeah, and her her block in the sky. (laughs) I always suggest to people that if you only eat food, just eat real food, you could avoid foodiness, and you'd be doing a lot for yourself. If we only ate real food half the time... Half the chain stores in New York would have to shut down. I mean, it's as simple as that. Just tell people to listen to my show and to eat real food. But but what can we do? How can people get involved? What's the plan? So tell us how people can get involved and help fight the fight. We're on Facebook. We have a Twitter hashtag. Okay. Do you want to tell us what it is? It's, uh, uh, no, seven eleven yeah. with uh, with eleven spelled out. Right, so it's N O number seven E L E V E N N Y C N Y C N Y C. So that's your Twitter hashtag, and it's facebook.com slash no seven the number eleven spelled out. Right, right, and um, people can also follow the blogs, the E V Grieve blogs, and Vanishing New York, both of which are doing the real journalistic dirty work on yep. the Pringleization of New York. And uh, anything else while you have your? Well, we we do. We'll be having our bodega walks every uh, every every other Saturday. So we had one okay, last Saturday. Great. We'll have one. Our website is going to open. What is it? The next week. Momentito. Yeah. Okay. We have a website about to launch. Yeah. Okay. And we're looking to connect with other neighborhoods as well. Oh, okay. Good. So if people are in other neighborhoods and they have neighborhood blogs or community associations that want to connect. You know, there are 7-Elevens on the Upper East Side. Yeah. And those people well, are not happy they about They deserve it. it up there, though. Yeah. 
<laughs> no one, no <laughs> one deserves, deserves a Right, I take it back. Okay, right, right. But I don't think the, those folks are going to go out and chalk the streets. No, no, so no. we're going to give them a little bit of help okay. in some way. We'll find out. All right, great. Well, it's been really excellent having both of you on. I think this has been really informative, and I hope people are getting as fired up as we are. So thank you both so much for making the trip out of the East Village on the L train <laughs> out here to Bushwick. But it's, you know, Bushwick, can, it sort of reminds you of what things used to be like, you know, That's before cool the chain store. Cool so place. it's pretty cool. And, um, you know, remember, if you don't want to eat shit and you don't want to be Pringleized, keep listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. Make sure you follow No 7-Eleven-NYC on Twitter and Let's Get Real Show on Twitter. And thanks again to both of you for coming in. And thanks to Chris Nutter, my co-producer, and Joe Galarraga in the control room. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.